Hello everyone, I'm Jan Barris, Vice President of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and I'm really delighted to be here today with an old friend who I haven't seen for many years. Her name is Feng Du, or Violet, the English name that she chose for herself. Violet is now a documentary film producer with many terrific films under her belt that she is justifiably proud of, including her latest called Mainland, which is about Chinese high school students at a rural New England boarding school. The National Committee is very pleased to be co-sponsoring a screening of that film on Sunday, March 18, at the 42nd Street AMC Theater, and we hope our listeners will all come out in droves to see it. I first met Violet when she applied to participate in our Time Warner Internship Program, a wonderful project funded by, not surprisingly, the Time Warner Company from 1998 through 2006. Over those nine years, 40 Fudan University seniors, many of them from the journalism department, came to the United States for a three-month internship at one of seven or eight different Time Warner entities. Depending on their interests, we might place them at such places that Time or Fortune magazines in New York or Warner Brothers Studios in Los Angeles or CNN in Atlanta, which was Violet's home base in the fall of 2000. It was a wonderful program, and I remember it being filled with lots of really interesting people, and it's just so nice to reconnect with one of them after so many years. I'm eager to hear Violet talk about her time in the program and its impact on her, as well as about her life and career since then. So what made you first want to apply for the National Committee's Time Warner Internship, Violet, and what was the experience like for you? Um, so back then in China, um, I, I was born and raised in Shanghai. Even back then, I think opportunities for students to go overseas is very, very limited. And uh, families usually don't have enough means to send their kids abroad. So when this opportunity came, I believe it's somebody, something like all the kids wants to, you know, <laughs> apply for. So I'm just one of the kids who, are, you know, are interested to to apply for this. But um, on the deeper sense, I think I was, um, I, I believe I was in my third year in the journalism school uh, at Fudan. And uh, honestly, I, I think during that time, I was a little disappointed um, of the program and uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, so I was at a point of trying to figure out what my next step is. Um, because I, when I chose journalism in Chinese, um, it's, people call it as a profession with a crown. So it's something that was people have deep respect for. Mm -hmm. But when I was in the program, I don't really see the passion of the students who are in it and, and then the teachers sometimes as well. So I wasn't sure where I'm going and I was luckily chosen by the program and when I came over it's not just about the concept of journalism who's deeply different from what I learned at school in China which that transformed me as well but I think fundamentally what's more important is that I really see their passion what I mean passion for journalism is a passion for deep connection the deep care for other human beings other than themselves and the work itself is basically trying to make a difference and trying to make the world a better place and that concept stuck in me and I think that changed me 
or that influenced me ever since as a human being. And that's more, much more important than working in the news organization, learning the skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and later on, that also affects me of how I chose, you know, the person I spend the rest of my life with and uh, how I'm going to educate my child and what career I'm going to choose. So I think I'm deeply rewarding for the program for how it has changed me in that regard. So I think if I have one sentence to summarize what I get out of the Time Warner internship, I think it taught me how important it is to be a person with passion and how important it is to be a person to have a vision that even you yourself can make some sort of difference. So when you went back to China after the three months, um, how did, what immediate effect did the internship have on you? First of all, was it difficult to reintegrate back into China after having spent three months here? Or was there any jealousy on the part of your friends? Very much, oh my God, (laughs) yes. So it, it was definitely, I'm sure that all my classmates wanted to be in this program and I had a lot of <laughs> jealous and I felt like, oh, I was like, I, I had my head down, you know, for a couple of months. Um, but then it got me, so the immediate um, effect on me is that because I, when I was working for CNN, I actually made a story about Chinese adoption in, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. if you remember, and Dude. it was aired on CNN five times, which I was really proud of, and it was on CNN uh, website on the main page, and it was had a, a good um, result. So after I went back, I continued to be a contributing reporter for CNN for a while, um, working from Shanghai Television as a reporter there. Um, and at the same time, after I graduated, I was hired by BBC's Shanghai Bureau. I was the first in Chinese employee of BBC's mm. Shanghai Bureau. Really? Yeah, but I knew um, right after I went back that I wanted to um, come to the U.S. for graduate studies um, in journalism mm-hmm. because I know it's very different from what I was taught in China and I wanted to know a better way of how I to tell stories. Um, and then I s- immediately started with Jessica Lu, who's also in my program. Um, and yeah, both of us started applying for the schools right away. <laughs> and we were lucky to got in. I think she went to University of Michigan in Aber. And I went to Berkeley, and then we went to get the visa interview at the same day. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> lovely. So what was your Berkeley experience like? Before I went to Berkeley, I didn't know that they have a very strong documentary program. In fact, when I was China uh, growing up, our concept about documentary is more like something like 60 minutes. TV, investigative, um, not even investigative, like TV, Um, explanations of a certain topic or a certain item so we don't really think it as more of a storytelling way um, about certain issue Um, that it can be some it can be um, something like a movie and that's brand new idea for me and when I went to Berkeley I was immediately um, drawn by you know the journal uh, the documentary um, program and the films that I was able to watch Oh my goodness, <laughs> that changed me so much. I'm like, this is so fun. Because when I was in news, I uh, worked for Shanghai TV when I was at college and I worked for BBC, I worked for CNN. The amount of time I have is only two minutes to tell a story. And sometimes it's not 
enough for me to expand and to explore the creative way to tell a more dramatic story. So it immediately gave me uh, this great tool that I think this is something I want to you know, devote more of my time in. But then when I was at Berkeley, my teacher intimate, uh, intimidated us and by saying that if you're in documentary, that means you're not going to be rich, first of all. Secondly, <laughs> you're not going to have a stable job uh, most of the time. Um, that means sometimes when you have lunch, you don't know where your dinner is. Mm. I was like, oh my goodness, how's that going to work? But um, then I'm, more and more I realized that I think when you make a commitment in something, I believe that if your passion is in it and if you're committed in it, uh, it doesn't matter when you don't have money right now because eventually I think the money will come. And that's what I still believe today. Yeah. And even though I'm still not rich, <laughs> but um, the work I'm doing is deeply rewarding and I feel really proud of, you know, um, what the program has taught me and also my education at Berkeley. And I think most important is the people I met who has deeply inspired me as human beings. Well, that's wonderful. You, you can, it's, uh, it's easy to say when you're not trying to figure out where dinner is coming from, but you're rich in other ways. And these experiences uh, through the kinds of films that you make, which I know have a focus on social issues yes. and your concern about some of those. So tell us a little bit. You studied film and documentary film at Berkeley. And then did you stay there? You went you go back to China, and how did that um, come at about? At the beginning, I didn't want to go back to China because I knew that there's no market resource, or even like nobody was doing documentaries back then. So I wanted to uh, make myself a better storyteller. So I continued to stay in the U.S. to work with great filmmakers on projects. Um, and I was we should set the time frame for this. So okay. you were a Time Warner intern in 2000. Yes. And then you went back and you came to Berkeley. In and 2002. 2002. To 2004. Okay. Yes. And so that's the time frame where documentary films were not being given a lot of attention in China. No. Okay. Yeah. Something that came as a transformation for me later on in the years, but at the beginning, after I graduated from Berkeley, I, I did a graduating piece of, of a story about China, which is a, like a farmer's city in China that turned, um, it's basically a low-level bureau, government bureaucrat who turned a piece of wasteland in China into a city for farmers and mm. then to really transform their social status from peasants to citizens, mm. uh, which is like a really interesting... Urban citizens. Urban citizens. And we made this story, and then that piece was nominated for Best Short Documentary at San Francisco International Film Festival. Wow. And um, I thought, oh, this is really cool of telling Chinese stories to foreigners. So mm -hmm. at the beginning, that was my concept. And my first feature film, I, it's called Nanking, and I was a co-producer on the film. And I was really, really lucky to work with director Bill Gutentag and Dan Sturman. They're wonderful filmmakers. And the film is about uh, the Nanking massacre during the Second World War. But it's really focusing on a group of Western missionaries who did a heroic move by staying in Nanking and created a safety zone and saved 200,000 Chinese people's lives from the Japanese. Um, and the story is something that I didn't know 
as a Chinese, um, and I feel it's my responsibility to tell the story to my Chinese audience and to a Western audience. Um, and the story, uh, we, we, interv we interviewed um, about 30 survivors in China back then, and a lot of them have died already today. Um, and just the experience of spending a whole month in China interviewing those people as the interviewer uh, for the film, and then to really make the film from integrity point of view, um, make me feel like it. And then also the outcome of the film was really great that we actually theatrically released the film in about 20 or 30 countries, mm. and it was the highest grossing documentary in box office in China back then. Mm. Um, and it was premiered at Sundance, um, showed it in many, many film festivals. Um, so I thought it's a great feeling of telling stories about China to, to um, Western audiences. And uh, I was thinking I was going to continue to do that. Um, because actually, when uh, a back interesting story, when I was at Berkeley, uh, when I was in the program, I remember one of the professor saw me and then really pushed me to do Chinese stories when I was in the Bay Area, and I wasn't feel comfortable. I said I came to study journalism, I want to do all the story other kids are doing, but then I forgot that I do have that unique identity and perspective and cultural background as a Chinese, and I have a unique voice as a Chinese to tell stories. So when I was making the film Nanking. Um, that tells me that this is something that I, you know, feel strong about. I should continue doing. So you went back to China. You were concerned at that point that there wouldn't be the opportunities for you in the documentary film sector, but you did in fact find something that yes. provided you the creative outlets yeah. that you were interested in. So basically, when we first went back to China, um, my concept is still I was trying to tell great stories from about China to international audience and something that they don't know about. Um, you know, I, I want to do things like that. And also because we don't have the resources, we don't have money in China to fund documentaries. So the usual way is to go for international money to um, fund documentaries about China. So like that, actually, I see the more films I produce, the more I see that, you know, the voice the director is trying to convey is trying to feed the appetite of what the Westerners think about China. Um, and later on later, I found that's a problem because um, it's just going to enforce the stereotype of what the Westerners think about China uh, versus to really provide something that's more um, meaningful or what's more true present, uh, representation of what China is going on. And also, I think we also forget, because we thought we didn't have a market in China, so what we're doing is for international festivals, for international audience, but we forget that our film is made actually more importantly for our own people. And that's where the difference is going to be. That's where where are we going to make a difference, how are we going to make an impact, is on our own people. You know, like. At the end of the world, it's great that you won an international award, but like, so what? <laughs> so that's how, you know, as a filmmaker, I start to transfer, transform myself and my motivation of making films. Now I make films, uh, I target my own people in China, especially social issue driven films, um, that I want my films to have a voice and then to have a place to make an impact in China. Um, 
one of my last film I made called Please Remember Me, which I showed you, is the love story of my great uncle and my great aunt-in-law who uh, had Alzheimer's for the past 15 years and my great uncle has been taking care of her alone. Um, Alzheimer's uh, in Chinese is called all retards. So it's a huge discrimination against the population uh, to a point that only less than 20% of the Alzheimer's patients even get diagnosed in China because they're too ashamed or their family members too ashamed to take them to the hospitals. So after this film is made, even though I know this film, Alzheimer's has been done so many times in international world, but because we have um, nine million Chinese Alzheimer patients in China. So I think that this is a film is going to be made for our audience. Um, and I was determined about it. Um, and even, I was lucky to get enough funding for this film. And eventually after the film uh, was premiered and then um, made a festival tour around, I started to do a, a campaign in China for this film for two reasons. Um, one reason is that I really wanted to make an impact to use this film to see how we can use documentaries um, to change the society in the slightest way we can, you know. Um, the second way is I wanted to use it as an experiment to inspire my other fellow filmmakers in China to tell them that maybe if we do a little more, if we make a step further, um, maybe we can do something more than we think. So we took this film to show it in communities, neighborhood communities, among old people who has never seen documentaries before. Mm -hmm. The first time I showed it, it was among 200 old people in the room of a community. And uh, I was really nervous because I know they've never seen documentary. I don't know if they can sit through 78 minutes. Mm -hmm. And they were talking loudly. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my God, you know, it's not gonna go anywhere. <laughs> Oh, this is a failure. But then after the film was showed, they asked questions for an hour and a half. Wow. And all about Alzheimer's, how they can prevent it, how they can help, how they can support the community, what the community can do to help old people, all those questions. And it was just overwhelming. Mm. Then I work with organizations, um, NGOs related to the topic to tour this film around like five cities in China at communities, at hospitals, at pharmaceutical companies, mm. at nursing schools and nursing facilities, you name it, of an audience that you think they can make an impact or they can continue to, you know, like um, change, create change. And we made in the end, uh, within a year, we made 250 outreach screenings. Mm. And then we pushed for a theatrical release um, and put the, um, the, f the campaign on social media and continue to um, use the social media platform to bring these patients to light um, right. and then to ask the families to share stories of these patients and to really um, create a warming supportive environment for the organizations to find the patients for the patients to find organizations um, and in the end the government heard us so the government, uh, especially in Shanghai, is starting to change policies about uh, Alzheimer's care, and they're trying to include um, ins medical insurance uh, of Alzheimer's for long-term home care. And they're also adding uh, 1,000 beds in the nursing homes, particularly for Alzheimer's patients. Um, and uh, doing that kind of reconfirmed 
what I want to do as of my next step. That I think, you know, making a film usually is, you know, I, I'm motivated to make a film because there is a social issue that needs to be addressed and there's a human story that can inspire people about that social issue. But documentary is just such a great, great tool that can inspire people to create change. And that's something that we should, you know, I should continue to be doing. I know that now you're very involved in uh, publicizing your newest film right. called Mainland. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that film, what motivated you to do it, and where some of our listeners might go to see it. So this is a film, the director um, and I started working on it about six years ago when I was still in China. And the director is a Chinese-American who came to uh, the U.S. Um, at the age of uh, around 15 years old. So she was touring um, her first feature-length film called Beijing Taxi around the U.S. schools. Um, it's a story about three taxi drivers in Beijing during the Olympics. It's a wonderful film. So she was touring this film at one of the boarding school at Maine in Freiburg called Freiburg Academy. And when she was showing the film, she suddenly saw a huge number of Chinese students sitting in the audience in the middle of nowhere. And she was really amazed and surprised by it. Um, and starting to ask questions about the um, admission and, and starting to do research. And that was, um, I think the beginning of the wave of the parachute students coming to China at a younger, younger age. What year was this? Um, 2011, mm -hmm. around that time. She just started the story. And I started to notice the issue as well because I, you know, personally, it's a personal connection. I came to the U.S. for graduate school. And uh, I think um, the experience of um, going abroad to study um, enrich a human soul uh, in a deep level. It's very, very important. So I think um, it's a very important topic, especially the number of Chinese is growing like crazily. I think it has, I have to check the number. I think it like increased 60 times over the past 20 years or mm. something. It's like huge, um, but I have to check the number. Um, but the other thing I care more about is that with that population of young kids going to study abroad, how is that population is going to change or affect or influence the future of China? Because eventually they're gonna all kind of come back to China and they're gonna be in different fields and they're gonna be the elites of the future of China. So that's the question I have in my head and how these students transform of their experience in foreign countries is essential. So that's why uh, I was also really interested in the topic um, and the director and I um, follow these two kids um, from um, China, one from Shanghai and one from Guangzhou. They're both from affluent families. Um, they came to the U.S. for high school, and we followed them in that school um, for three years. So it follows them over a longer period. I didn't realize that. That's great. And uh, I also find this film very timely, both in China and in the U.S. It's very rare because to find a film that speaks to audience both in China and in the U.S. is very rare. Um, I usually have a guidance of what are the films that I'm looking out for. I have two words. One is universal and one is unique. Mm -hmm. So the story has to travel um, widely, like 
most human beings who understand or can have a way to connect. But the story should also be unique even within our own culture as a Chinese. Mm -hmm. So like Nanking, even people in China haven't heard about the group of missionary who saved the um, Chinese people in Nanking. And like um, mm -hmm. mainland, how these kids transformed in the U.S. is something that the parents are kept in the dark about. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and we have found the film is um, creating a lot of dialogues after we premiered the film at South by Southwest last year mm. and won the Special Jury Award. The audience from U.S. look at the film um, from the um, very interesting perspectives that, that you know it's a very timely issue to create cultural dialogues um, in this country of how you know especially in the education environment you know how we should respect different cultures and then how we should particularly you know treat such a large number of Chinese students coming out of the blue and how is that shaking or changing the educational system of the US because some of the boarding school expanding because of the Chinese students yes. coming. So all those um, uh, discussions around it and also we when we filmed it, in, when we screened it in China, uh, we also heard questions from the other end of you know, parents is trying to understand, you know, whether it's a good thing, you know, the students are studying in, in the U.S. or not at such a younger age, and we, they treat us like an expert even <laughs> <laughs> to ask us questions of, you know, um, whether it's a good thing to send their kids at a younger age. It's a, it's a big debate uh, in China among the parents. Right. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Yeah. So did it have theatrical release in China or you're showing it to selected audiences? No, uh, we haven't had theatrical release, but we're pushing for it. Um, we're trying to get, because like in China, the system it works is you have to get a dragon labor before you get a theatrical release. So the film has to pass the um, um, sort of the government um, censorship and get the label stamped on mm -hmm. it so that you proved for theatrical release right. and it's a process and so we're trying to do that but at the same time um, I think we're about to sign release uh, of distribution in television and uh, social media in China Great. Uh, for the film Great. yeah so what's next for you? You have this mm -hmm. wonderful success, it sounds like, with most of the films that you've done so far. Not all the films are success, which Not is okay. All, but, <laughs> but a good percentage. At least yeah. do you have one or two good films. That's yeah. yeah. A lot of um, people don't even get that. Yeah, so for this film, I think we... Um, I, so uh, we're going to have a theatrical release with Mainland um, starting from March 16th in New York at AMC. Um, and it's going to run for a week in, in at AMC, uh, two screenings a day. So mm -hmm. I hope um, people who hear this uh, all have the opportunity to go to see the film. It's a wonderful film and it's a really fun film to sit through. Um, the other thing we have been really, um, really proactive in doing is to bring this, the film to schools um, internationally particularly in North America. So we have reached out to thousands of boarding schools in the U.S., um, thousands of universities in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, we have a great impact producer who has done extensive research of all the possible <laughs> schools you can think of. And we have, I think, been invited by 
20 or 30 schools to show the film, um, to see the film. So we hope that this film can be a tool. I mean, documentaries are tools. They're a tool to help people to have a dialogue, to have a conversation about topics from the film. I mean, we, de we, we definitely not um, people who try to answer certain questions, but we're the people who are asking questions and then who try to um, promote dialogues. So we hope this film can continue to do that in that regard, and hopefully that can help both people in China and the U.S. on that topic. Well, it's been such a pleasure to both see you again after almost 20 years, and to hear how wonderfully you've done professionally, but more important to me, how you've grown as a, an individual and a person who has such strong commitment to values and to your community, both your home community in China, as well as trying to get people in both cultures to understand the stories of people in the other countries, which is what the National Committee is all about. So it's wonderful to have spoken with you here. We're looking forward. The National Committee is going to be one of the sponsors of one of your programs at AMC on Sunday. March 18th, so we do encourage listeners to come out to that theater. It will be showing for a full week there twice a day, so you'll have opportunities other than the one that we're sponsoring. Um, but just again, thank you so very much for joining us today. You are the first of uh, a new kind of podcast that we're doing <laughs> where people who've been involved in the National Committee over the years can come and talk about what they're doing now and what effect, if any, the National Committee involvement has had on their thinking or on their lives. So thank you again to Violet Fengdu for joining us and for being such a delightful person. Thank you.